Good to see you all tonight. Thanks for coming out. In case we have serve on the elder team for Vero Bible Fellowship, and uh, Pastor Greg is taking a couple of days to uh, to get off alone and work on uh, putting together his outlines for the series he's starting on the Book of Matthew. So he's off focus, focusing on that tonight. Asked me if I would fill in. I'm happy to do that, of course. Uh, be sure and be praying for Greg as he's studying. You know, what, uh, whatever happens between him and God and his Bible in these couple of days is going to impact all of us when he brings it to the pulpit. So uh, we should be praying for him as he prepares. And isn't it great to have a pastor who cares enough about his preaching to spend time alone just to get his focus and, and get the big view of where he's going and all of that? I appreciate Greg so much and thankful for his ministry with us. And appreciate all of you. Thanks for coming out tonight. I... I uh, I think every time we get together, there are a few more people. And then one, one of these days, it's going to be probably uh, something's going to happen. The election gets behind us or something. I'm not sure what it's going to take. And uh, we're going to be almost uh, back to our full group again. I'm looking forward to that. This next uh, Sunday, by the way, you may remember, is our last Sunday at Life for Youth Camp. And then the following Sunday, we'll be back at the school. And I'm really looking forward to that. Life for Youth Camp has been a great place to kind of take shelter and spread out. And, uh, but I'm looking forward to the bright windows and, uh, you know, just the, the environment that we had there at the school. It was always just so pleasant. And uh, I'm looking forward to walking back in there again. It'll be like a fresh start almost. But we're going to have a very special service this Sunday at Life for Youth Camp. So make sure you uh, make your plans and are there. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his guidance and blessing on our time tonight. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be together tonight. Thank you for your word. It's your word that brings us here to study because by studying your word, we learn more about you, your nature, your work in our lives. So Father, lead us in truth and accuracy as we look at the word of God and apply it to our lives this evening. Thank you for each one of these friends who are here we pray for those who are not here tonight, who are stuck at home for uh, various reasons. We pray for your blessing and your ministry to them. For those who have joined us by the live stream tonight, Father, I pray that you administer to them as well. And we look forward to being able to be all together again. But tonight, we turn our focus to you and to your word and ask that you would use it, apply it to our hearts, our lives. Use it to click into our minds in a way that will stick with us through the coming days so that it can bring lasting change to our hearts. We ask all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, when Greg came up to me Sunday after church and asked me if I would cover tonight, he said, uh, you know, we're in the middle of the study of the book of Revelation. And uh, if you want to do that, you can. Or if you want to do something else, that's fine, too. So I went home and took a look at the 11th chapter of uh, Revelation. And first of all, i got to say that as a business guy, just a term, chapter 11, you know, kind of scares me a little bit. So uh, I, I worked through that and, uh, and looked at what the 11th chapter of Revelations uh, says. And, uh, and I thought, man, this is, this is really entertaining stuff. I mean, that's not written for our entertainment. It's written for deeper purposes than that. But if you look at what's happening in chapter 11, uh, it's just fascinating. Uh, but I'm not going to teach that tonight. So don't get too excited about it. But be sure and come back next week when Greg does. The reason I'm not going to is because Revel the book of Revelation is so woven together 
that uh, for me to step in and teach what something in the middle of what Greg has been teaching, I, I think would not, it just wouldn't be right. Greg needs to carry on with that. But when I was looking at the book of Revelation, chapter 11, I saw these things. I want to just walk you through the storyline because it'll at least prepare you for next week when Greg comes back to teach. But it kind of also sets us up for where I want to go tonight in our study. Uh, and so here, here's what we see. Um, in, the, in the 11th chapter of Re Revelation, the story kind of unfolds like this. Uh, the Gentiles start trampling the city outside of the temple walls. And they do this for 42 months. So for 42 months, it's uh, kind of like Minneapolis, I guess, where, where they just come and, uh, and are trampling the city and uh, treating it badly. So for 42 months, that's happening. And during that time, God raises up two witnesses. And these two witnesses uh, start prophesying. The Bible says that the witnesses are prophesying for a 1,260 days which is just shy of three and a half years. So these two people, these two, two witnesses, are prophesying for three and a half years in this area outside the temple wall in the holy city of Jerusalem that's being trampled and just, you know, Gentiles using it roughly, not taking care of it. I don't know what else is happening, but it's not good. Uh, and, and that's happening for uh, three and a half years. And these two witnesses have the ability to breathe fire and devour anybody who tries to attack them. Well, that's kind of interesting, right? Uh, so someone comes against them, they just breathe fire out of their mouth like a dragon and devour that person who comes against them, which makes the people who don't like them very unhappy, I'm sure. And then, uh, and then they also have the ability, the power to stop rain, so to bring drought, to stop rain entirely, to turn all the water into blood. Remember that from, uh, from the plagues uh, with the Egyptians. They have the ability to bring any possible plague on the people on the, on the earth. So these guys are not universally loved. They're prophesying they can breathe fire and devour people, stop the rain, turn all the water into blood, and bring plagues on people to torment the people. And so this is happening for three and a half years. And the people hate these two witnesses. And after three and a half years, a beast comes out of the abyss and kills the two witnesses. And the two witnesses then lie there dead in the streets for three and a half days. And during these three and a half days, all these people who have been trampling the city come around these two dead bodies of the two witnesses, laying there for three and a half days. They refused to bury them, and they, would, they, they rejoiced in their death. And the, and the Bible says that they started giving each other gifts in celebration of the death of these two witnesses, because these two guys have been breathing fire and devouring anyone who came against them, stopping the rain, turning the water into blood, and, uh, and calling plagues down on everybody. So everybody hated them, and now this beast came out and devours them, so everybody's celebrating, giving gifts like it's Christmas time for three and a half days celebrating. After three and a half days, or in the middle of this, three, after it's been going on for three and a half days, God breathes his breath into these two witnesses. They come back to life and stand up, which was sort of alarming to everyone who was in the middle of exchanging their Christmas presents. And... A voice called them from heaven, saying, come to me, and they ascended in a cloud. So, I mean, make a great movie, I think. That's what you're going to be studying next week with Pastor Greg. That's not the end. There's an earthquake then. As soon as they ascend in a cloud, an earthquake comes and destroys one-tenth of the city, and 7,000 people are killed. And everyone who wasn't killed, the survivors, were terrified and gave glory to God 
and then the seventh trumpet sounded. So that's what you're studying next week. That, we're not talking about that this week, but I, I couldn't help but just uh, go through that little storyline of those, those uh, you know, when you, when you put together a story, when you're teaching, uh, sometimes the motive to work hard is as a child or a youngster, when your dad makes you learn to work hard, but he's talking about hard work that's motivated by something else. He's saying your work of faith, the work that's motivated by faith. And it makes it feel entirely different than I have to do this work because the work has to be done and no one's going to do the work if I don't do it, so I've got to get out there and do the work. This work is motivated by faith. The object is faith in God. My faith in God is strong. I understand some things about God that motivate me to want to do the work that I'm doing. And that can be spiritual work as a teacher of the Word or something you're doing in service for the church to make the body function, but it can also be just going to work and doing your job because that also is part of our lives, right? God says that whether we eat or drink, whatever we should do, we should do it unto the Lord. Our work should be motivated by our faith, even if our work is to go out and dig a ditch or be an electrician or a policeman or an accountant or whatever it is, it can still be, should still be motivated by our faith and it gives it a whole different feel. If our work, the motive for the work was driving us to do our work and to do it well, is our faith. Work of faith, labor of love. Work is the big picture. Labor is the smaller pieces that are part of the work. Labor is the, you know, the, the, the real hard part. The work is the concept, the big picture of what you want to accomplish. My work is to be a consultant to help Christian ministries around the country to, to function and to do well. My labor is actually doing some tasks that some days I don't feel like doing. The labor it makes up the work. The labor comes from love. The work comes from faith. The labor is motivated by love. And then the steadfastness, that part that really can drain you if you think about it too long. I've got to do this diligently, consistently for a long, long, long time, in fact forever, in order to be steadfast. That steadfastness is motivated by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I thought about that this week. Like, I'm having trouble some days with my motivation because of the world we're living in, the changes have happened around us. The way business has changed, life has changed, relationships have changed. Uh, all of this has changed, and it's a demotivator for me sometimes. And then I look at what I'm doing. My work is motivated by faith. My labor is motivated by love for Christ and love for the body of Christ. And my diligence or my steadfastness is motivated by that huge concept of having my hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. My hope for how I function through the days on earth, my hope for eternity, and all of that drives my steadfastness. And I thought, man, now we're onto something that is no longer discouraging and weighty, making me tired. Now we're onto something that's encouraging and uplifting and gives me energy. Because these things that I believe in, and where did this concept come from? It came from the first chapter of Thessalonians and the Word of God. But it's so easy to let my focus slip and for my focus to be wrong. Now, I, I don't know what you're dealing with, what your feelings are, what your struggles are. They may be different than mine, but you probably still have some. And they probably have the same effect in the long run of giving us times where it's a struggle to have our focus be on faith, on love, and on hope, those things that Paul mentioned 
as the motives for the people of this church doing what they do. Now, the people of this church doing what they do. Paul goes on in this letter to talk about how well they're known for this. They're known, Paul mentioned in his prayer their work, their labor, and their steadfastness is motivated by hope, by, sorry, by faith, love, and hope. But then he goes on to say that that's had an effect on other people too. Now this church in Thessalonica was in, uh, in what we know now as Greece. And so the church is there on the uh, sort of the, if you look at a map, the upper right-hand side of, of the country of Greece. It was the area called Macedonia back then. There was another church just down below them. The church of Philippi was just up and to the right or northeast of them. And, uh, and so these churches, Paul is talking about how their reputation for hope and for love and for diligence or steadfastness, uh, for their, their reputation for work and for labor and for steadfastness has spread to these other churches. And people around them have been hearing about this. He also goes on to talk about Philippi in general, where he had been, Paul, the Apostle Paul had been before uh, he had been there to the uh, church at Thessalonica and had a difficult time in Philippi. They treated him roughly. I don't know what all happened in Philippi, but they treated Paul roughly. He had to leave town. He came to Thessalonica. But now he's saying that your reputation has even spread back to Philippi, where I was, and they treated me roughly, and I had to leave. And now those people are hearing about your faith and your hope and your love, your work, your labor, your steadfastness. And they're inspired. And what I wasn't able to do by going there and preaching to them, now they're changed and the church has developed because of your reputation. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? That what Paul wasn't able to do was accomplished in a different way. So we at Vero Bible Fellowship should be asking ourselves, because here we are, a church just a couple years old. We should be asking ourselves, welcome, Bob and Vicki, First Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, we should be asking ourselves, okay, how did this happen? This church, the church at Thessalonica, was fairly new, quickly developed this reputation all around the region. In fact, Paul says, not just in your region, but beyond all over, everybody has been hearing about you and your reputation for these things. So how, how could we, is it possible that Vero Bible Fellowship could develop a reputation, us, this group of people, a reputation for hard work, good labor, and steadfastness is motivated by faith and by love and by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ? Obviously, the answer is yes, it's possible. So let's look at how that happened. What are the things that God used to nurture these elements in the church at Thessalonica in hopes that maybe we personally and as a church can start to model that and develop that also so that people might someday say, you know that church in Vero Beach, that Vero Bible Fellowship, I've been hearing about them. And their hard work and their labor and their steadfastness, how much they love one another. The faith that they have in Jesus Christ and the hope they have in the Lord Jesus Christ and that that reputation might actually have a positive impact on other people. So let's look at how that happened. Uh, I want to jump over to the book of Philippians in chapter 3. This is a piece of, of, of scripture that you're probably very familiar with. In fact, let, let, me, uh, let me share this with you. There's this guy, I'm taking out my phone to read a message from this guy. 
that I got a couple of days ago. Um, his name is Mike Nye, and uh, Mike worked for me years ago when I was leading a large uh, ministry uh, that's international headquarters was up in Missouri, and Mike was, uh, was one of the staff there, about uh, 2,500 staff that worked for this ministry, and Mike worked closely with me. And then uh, we've both been away from that particular ministry for a lot of years, but have kept in touch through the magic of Facebook. And uh, isn't that nice? You know, Facebook has its, its uh, downside and people get upset about Facebook. But one thing I love about Facebook is it allows me to still have a relationship with Mike Nye, who I would never even be talking to uh, if it wasn't for being reconnected on Facebook. You have people like that in your life also, probably, that you wouldn't be connected with if it wasn't for Facebook. Some of them, eventually, you figure out, man... I kind of wish I wasn't connected with them, the nonsense they're posting on there day and night. But then there are the ones that are such a blessing, and Mike is one of those. In fact, Mike started this a couple of months ago. I have no idea what motivated him, other than God just led him to do this. But every morning, seven days a week, for the last several months, before I wake up, because Mike gets up earlier in the day than I do, I get a message from Mike. And the message is always a prayer for me and Jessica. Every day he prays for me and Jessica. And he doesn't just pray for me and Jessica and say, hey, I'm praying for you. Be encouraged. I prayed for you today, which nothing wrong with that. But he goes the additional step of writing this prayer in a message and sending it. So he, as he's praying, he's typing it. And then he lets me see what he's praying for me and Jess every day. And a couple of days ago, I got this message from Mike. Father, please strengthen Marshall and Jessica to forget what lies behind and strain to what lies ahead, pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call from you in Christ Jesus. May courage and boldness not fall on them. Amen. Philippians 3. I mean, every day it's a message like that from Mike. It comes from what he's studying, what he's reading, and he prays for me and my wife, these rich, incredible prayers. Well, you know, it reminds me a little bit of the Apostle Paul. Because when Paul met people and he worked with them in these churches, what's the first thing he always says in his letters, the epistles? When I pray for you, I pray this. And for these guys, it was, I pray for you remembering your work that's motivated by faith and your labors motivated by love and your steadfastness or endurance that's motivated by your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he tells them what he's praying for them, and it's awesome to hear. By the way, if you should ever feel inspired to do that kind of a thing, it'll be such a huge blessing to the people who you pray for and communicate those prayers to, especially if those prayers like Mike's are coming straight from Scripture. Okay, well, I wanted to go back to Philippians chapter 3 then, where Mike took this prayer that he sent me a couple of days ago and see what it has to say because it ties so closely to what we're talking about tonight. And it also gives us some insight. Remember the question I asked is, how could we, as Vero Bible Fellowship, how could we as individuals who make up this body of believers develop this church in such a way and develop our lives in such a way so that we could have that reputation that affects other people around our area, other churches, people who don't go to church around Vero Beach and Indian River County and St. Lucie County and all around the Treasure Coast and beyond, and saying that church right there, they're filled with faith and they're filled with hope and they're filled with love and they have steadfastness and they work hard and they're full of labor for the work of the Lord. Well, they learned it from Paul. 
So let's take a look at something that Paul said. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And then he goes on, if you don't think this way, then God, God can change your thinking. Okay, so this is Paul. This is the guy who modeled this behavior to this church at Thessalonica, who he was writing to. And Paul says this repeatedly through his writing, that we should be imitators of Christ, but he also says this bold, bold thing, you should also imitate me. You can only say that to someone if you know that you're doing what's really right and you're the proper model for them to imitate. And Paul was. And one of the things that Paul modeled that this church imitated was how to pray for one another and show love for one another. Go back to 1 Thessalonians in uh, chapter... Oh man, I think it's in cha about chapter 4. I should have made a note of this, but I don't think I did. Oh, chapter 4, verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need, he's writing here again to this same church, the ones filled with hope and who work hard and have steadfastness. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. We urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So what's Paul doing? He's teaching these people the very things he's committing them for doing. They learned this from Paul by modeling the behavior that Paul showed to them. They showed love to people because Paul showed love to them. Paul talked in the letter about how he was away from them and he longed to be back with them. You don't long to be back with somebody unless you have this affection for them, not just the kind of love that's sort of like a respect, and I know they're my fellow believer, and I should love them. No, that doesn't lead you to long to be with them. Paul was longing to be with them because he actually loved these people. And they learned from Paul's example the importance of loving one another and became a church that was known for their love for one another. It doesn't have to be the leader of the congregation. It doesn't have to be Paul. It could be anyone, it could be a group of people, it should be all of us, but it might be one of you who just, God gives you this incredible way of loving everybody and pouring that love out on the body of Christ so that people know, man, he, he's so loving to everybody he meets. And that's inspiring and it starts to spread. And next thing you know, you're hearing words like this. I'm not speaking out of... Be oh, sorry, I got lost there. What I just read. Oh, here it is. Um, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write, for you, write to you about this. In other words, I don't need to preach to you about brotherly love because you're already doing it so well. You're already so strong in this area. Just keep on doing it. Keep on growing and doing more and more and being stronger and stronger in that area that you already excel so much in. Okay, so they learned some of that from Paul. Which makes me think about this. Oh, oh there, there's an, so they learned it from Paul's example. The other way they learned it 
uh, or the, another, another thing that God used to develop this in the life of this church was that they were in a difficult circumstance. You, you know how you've always heard that like, under diversity, things happen, like growth happens. Um, forest fires prompt new growth. Uh, I mean, all kinds of examples of that in life and in nature that through difficult times, you know, a tree goes through a drought, the roots go down deeper because the surface water is no longer there. So when, when it starts to send its roots down deeper to get water from deeper, and then when the surface water comes back, it flourishes all the more because it went through that trauma. It happens in our lives too, doesn't it? We, we go through difficult times and then God works in us and we grow deeper and richer because of that. The Puritans and what they used to teach years and years ago, they're always teaching about that downward growth of the roots going deeper instead of the branches just going higher all the time and having more leaves. That downward growth is what produces maturity. It's true here too. This group of people in Macedonia, we talked about Philippi a few moments ago and how they treated Paul roughly. That was the culture of this area. This was a pagan area. The Greeks back then, they had this pag all these pagan religions that they honored. They were tough, difficult people. And not only that, but they were, un they were part of the Roman Empire. So the Greeks themselves had these pagan traditions that were contrary to the teaching of the gospel. And then on top of that, they were part of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire hated Christians. They hated the teaching of the gospel also hated the Jews, and not only that, but in this area, there were in these cities Jewish synagogues as well, and you know who else hated the Christians were the Jews in the Jewish synagogues. And so these people who were starting this church, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ in Thessalonica, were in this environment where they were in this difficult culture, Greece, dominated by the Roman Empire, who didn't want any religion except to worship Caesar, and they were battling the Greeks and all their religion, the Jews and their religion, and now these pesky Christians are propping up, and then now they have the Jews who knew that this whole thing about Jesus Christ and Christians came out of Israel, and now it's spreading to this other country where they are also, where their synagogues and it's cropping up here, and they had all of this diversity going against them every way and everywhere. And what happened? In that following the teaching of Paul and his example, with the Spirit of God working in them, they became known for their work inspired by faith, their labor inspired by love, and their steadfastness inspired, inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, um, I want to ask you to think about this for a minute. You, you can just blurt this right out as you think about it. This came from Paul, this teaching, and it occurs to me that Paul knew a few things about diversity. Sorry, adversity. Yeah, diversity too probably, but adversity. Paul knew a thing or two. He'd been through a hard day or two in his life, right? Can you think of some of those things that Paul went through that were difficult? Shipwreck. A shipwreck, maybe two shipwrecks, possibly three shipwrecks. I think it was three, right? I'm asking my wife because she's, she actually has a degree in, in Bible, so she's the smart Bible person in our family. Uh, three shipwrecks. What else? Stoned. He was stoned, okay. Prison over and over again. What else? The revelation of the mysteries that were being 
must have thought he was crazy. Okay. About the gospel of, of Christ, and he was saying things they'd never heard ever in their lifetime. Yeah. You're right. I mean, you say the, 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 the revelation of mysteries of the gospel that are coming out through him, and that sounds like, well, that, that's great. What an honor. But, yeah, people thought he was crazy. How about the guilt of um, persecuting Christians? The guilt of persecuting Christians that he dealt with, and he did deal with that. Yeah, all through his ministry. That, that he knew he was forgiven, but he always knew that he had that stain on his record, that he, he was so wrong. Anything else that comes to mind? All of those, you're right, all those things built up that love in him, built up his ability to work hard and have that work motivated by love, have that hope, that faith. All of those things gave him that steadfastness. Paul went through a difficult life. He, his job was tough. You know, think about what he did. I was talking about how, how we travel normally, but, you know, we, Paul didn't fly in airplanes. He didn't stay in nice hotels and eat in nice restaurants or have nice cars to drive. He, he had a tough go of it. His travel was difficult and going to difficult places, often not knowing where he was going to sleep. And if he did know where he was going to sleep, it probably wasn't pleasant. He went through more hard times in his travels than good times. That must have worn him out. He was a man. He was like us. Can you imagine the wear and tear on your body, the wear and tear on your spirit, on your mind, your heart, your intellect? your hope, your faith, your love, all those things, when you start to get worn out and you're feeling beat up on the road and all those things, you know, patience starts to wear thin. Love might start to evaporate a little bit. Steadfastness might, you know, wear out a little bit. But Paul, instead, God used those experiences to build these things even stronger in him. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in, in verse 8, Paul is telling the stories. He's opening up this second letter to the Corinthian church. He's saying, I don't have this open in front of me, but it's something very close to this. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the troubles that I had when we were in Asia. And he goes on to tell them, I don't know exactly where in Asia, but he was on a missionary trip in Asia. And this guy, Paul, who'd been stoned, been through three shipwrecks, been through all of these different things that had happened, been in prison, it was when he was in Asia, whatever happened there, when he's writing this letter, I don't want you to be unaware of what happened in Asia. We despaired even of life. That doesn't sound like Paul, does it? You ever hear of Paul despairing of life? What he's saying is, I was pretty sure, guys, that time I was, I was going to die. Like this, I, I kind of knew this was the end for me. And I don't want you to be unaware of it. And here's why I don't want you to be unaware of it, because it was, he goes on, this is what he's saying in this letter, it was, your prayers for me while I was there, your prayers for me that God used to bring me through that difficult time. Just one more difficult time, maybe the most difficult time of all that Paul faces in his entire life. Okay, so Paul went through those difficult things. He knew what he was talking about. And so it was because of that that his example of love, hard work, faith, hope, steadfastness, it's because of the adversity he'd been through and survived, that his example was so strong and meant so much to that church. When I was a kid growing up in church, uh, we always had this Sunday evenings, the Sunday evening service, which churches don't even do that anymore. But the Sunday evening service, there was always a testimony time. 
you know, they just had it open and people would stand up and, and give testimonies. And, uh, you know, there were some people that would kind of say the same thing every week. And, and I don't know that that's bad because they're just talking about what God is doing in them and it might be consistent all the time. And sometimes people would stand up and tell dramatic stories with tears and, and things that would just have you riveted listening to what, what was happening and the dramatic things that, that God was doing in their life. But it was through that that young guys like me growing up in the church learned from the examples of other people, from what God was doing in other people's lives because they had a chance to stand up and talk about it and share it. And I knew that this old guy, I don't remember his name, but I could see his face. I was young and there was this old guy. I mean, I was young enough that he might have been 50, I don't know, but he seemed like 150. <laughs> now, I'm sure, pretty sure he was maybe in his 80s or 90s. Uh, but you know how it was when you were young and, you, and someone seemed so old and then you kind of find out now that I'm way older than they were at the time. That's discouraging, but don't give up hope. Uh, so I remember this old guy standing up in church one Sunday night, kind of holding on to the pew in front of him, and he says in this slow, slow voice, I thank God that I have two hips. Only one of them is broken. <laughs> and then he sat down. <laughs> Great testimony. <laughs> you know what I learned from that old guy that night is that he, he had this way of looking at the difficulties of life through spiritual eyes that brought him joy even in the middle of pain. And it, it was real. I mean, I knew this guy. It was real. We, we learn from people who go through adversity. Okay, so let's, let's summarize and finish this up. So the cause of the work is faith. Instead of focusing on your work, the work you're doing for the Lord, the work you're doing just in life to get through life, the daily work, instead of focusing on that, what if your focus is on the faith that inspires you to be able to go out and do the work that you do? Whether that's your daily work or work in the context of keeping Vero Bible Fellowship up and running powerfully out there doing ministry, building a reputation in the community and beyond. The cause of the labor, the actual tasks that make up the work, is love. The motive for the labor is love, and the motive for being steadfast, that one that when I stop and think about, like I was saying at the beginning, what it really means to be steadfast, it's not for a little while, it's not for sort of a long time, it's forever or else it's not really steadfastness. And that makes me tired. But the thing that prompts the steadfastness is hope in Christ. The fertile soil those things grew in for the Thessalonian church were Paul's example of work and love and steadfastness and this very difficult culture that they lived in. You know, it just occurs to me, friends, that we have that. We, we have that recipe. We're living in the middle of that recipe. We have the examples around us of people who exhibit work and late work inspired by faith and labor inspired by love and hope that's inspired, or sorry, steadfastness is inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have not the worst thing in history, but sort of a rough spot in the road that we're living in the middle of right now that can either break us down or make us stronger. And I'm not talking about that in some surfacey social way. I'm talking spiritual depth, roots going deep. 
we're living in the middle of that recipe. So our job, what we should be focused on, is nurturing faith, love, and hope in Christ, and let that prompt work, labor, and steadfastness. And may the reputation of this group and the bigger church that this group here tonight represents develop and grow, not as a source of pride for us, because that would ruin it all, but something that God would use to inspire other people around us. And, and maybe someday, like happened with this church in Thessalonica, when Paul says, your reputation is all over Macedonia and Achaia, and even beyond, in fact, all over the place, even outside of your own region, people are aware of you and these things that God is doing in you, and that's what we should be striving for. That's what should inspire us tonight. And that's what the Word of God is teaching us today. So... Next week, it's two witnesses and all those story facts. And I don't know where Greg is going to take that or what are all the deep truths he's going to teach us out of that. But tonight is this. Be encouraged. Be encouraged because we are people who know faith and we're people who know love and we're people who know, above all things, the hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Are you with me? Yeah, good, good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be together tonight and to be encouraged by one another, the examples of one another that we see in faith and hope and love. God, use that to inspire work and labor, steadfastness as we continue to serve you in our homes, our families, our work as the body that is Vero Bible Fellowship. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, I, I, my old Bible was falling apart, and I ordered this Bible, and I got this thing. And if nothing else, this makes me holy, because this is the biggest Bible I've ever seen. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so anything I teach out of this Bible, you can trust, because this thing is humongous. I'm going to uh, get a little wagon to carry it around in. <laughs>